Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Sir Shoshar of Chateau Moussar on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. You know why? Because I'm always discovering the progress of humanity all the way through, in all directions, not only in the wine, but also in technology. So today for me, it's technology. That's how we look at the show, you know, in the line of progress of humanity. <laughs> like, like, usually people say we're like the middle guy on that thing with the ape to the man, you know, kind of half crouched over, you know, with the club still. But uh, it's nice of you to say that we're a little further along. You know, there is something today, the fact what I'm frightened of is that things progress at, at such a pace that I'm never able to monitor or to follow up to pace with it. So this is my only problem. I feel the same way. And sometimes I feel like it's, you know, things might be happening that are irreversible. That oh. You feel the same way, but you are uh, 50 years younger than me. I've always been a little cynical <laughs> my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm worse than you. But let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. Your family immigrated to Beirut or in Lebanon when? Oh, it never immigrated. It seems that my ancestors came from France during, during the Crusaders, so around 900 years ago. And they, originally the Hoshar family comes from an era in France which is called Picardy. I met a guy one day whom I was told he wants to, would like to talk with me. His name was Serge Hoshar. I met his lawyer in a plane. He said he's in Paris next week. I gave him my card. He called me. I was in Paris one week later. I went and to, met him at the Club de l'Avitation. And then he told me he was the president of Garonor. Previously, he was a prefect at the, in Martinique. So I told him, uh, okay, she was a, he was an important guy. So he gave me the history of my family, her, our name, and this was impressive for me. He told me, we knew that this family, we, we, many of us did participate 1,800 years ago in the Crusaders. I said, okay, thank you. And this is why he wanted to meet me. <laughs> this is what happens. This is life. <laughs> Your dad started the winery in 1930. My father started the winery in 1930, and I took over winemaking in 1959. And why do you think your dad decided to start a winery? I never knew why. I know that one day he decided he went to study in France medicine, 
And after one year, he was not happy. He came back to Lebanon, and I have no clue for which reason he decided to start a winery. And uh, it happened that he had a brother-in-law who was himself an engineer from Montpellier, and he, who did help him because my father had no clue at all. And uh, I have no other idea what happened, why he did it. I never tried to understand why. Your father was friends with Roland Barton. My, my father happened in 1942 within the British Army. There was a major, and his name was Ronald Barton. He came to Lebanon, and then he, he met my father, became friend. And after this, this is why I have a brother who was born in 44 and whose name is Ronald, due to Ronald Barton's relation with my father. And Ronald Barton wanted me to go to Eton. But my father said, no, it's yet, it's yet too soon, the war. So, But when the war, when the things will develop, when Serge will be 18, he'll go to Bordeaux. This is the reason when, when I was 18, I went directly to Bordeaux. I met Ronald Barton. I've been visiting his chateau, Leoville Barton. <clears throat> and then I became a friend. And this is the reason why when I graduated from civil engineering in Beirut, I went back to Bordeaux in 63-64 and I did study enology under Jean Ribeiro Gaillon and Emile Penot. What was Emile Penot like? Oh, he was a great guy. He was uh, he was an impressive guy. In fact, I tell you a story which I probably could not register but doesn't matter. <clears throat> when he came 22 years before he passed away, he came to visit me in Vinixpo. He came and asked me to taste my wines. I made him taste my wines. He tasted all the wines. When he arrived to 1970, he looked at me and told me, Mr. Hoshar, I congratulate you. I'm impressed by this one. I told you, thank you for the compliment, Mr. Penou, but I'm going to make you a confession. I made the wines in a totally opposite way you taught us to. <laughs> he looked at me and told Mr. Hoshar, we're supposed to give you knowledge. You had to have the know-how. I told him, thank you. He was clever. So I was, this is how I studied enology. It was the first years of the school of enology because there was no enology in the 50s. Until the 50s, there was no school of enology. Enology was part of pharmacy, education levels. And you returned to the Becca in the 50s, late 50s. Well, we, we ha my winery is not in Becca Valley. Becca Valley is where our, the vineyards are. Our winery, because in those years, Lebanon has just become independent because before, just after World War One, Lebanon went into the French mandate, under the French mandate. And then we had some areas of Syria, which joined four Casas, which joined Lebanon, become part of Lebanon, which was the eastern part of the Beka Valley. So my father was frightened. So he established the winery in Gazir, which is in Mount Lebanon. Which is the mountain range that borders the Becca. Exactly. And this is where, this is why today the, most of our vineyards are in Beka Valley, but the winery is in Mount Lebanon. It's roughly 60 miles drive. And how many hectares do you have there? Now we have under our control 180 hectares. When did you decide that you wanted to do winemaking? I never decided. I was forced to accept. I had no choice. And because I was the eldest of the family, uh, so my father told me, Serge, you have to. I told him, okay, if I have to, you have to leave. And he was, I don't know, clever. He left, so I was stuck. I had to start making wine. 
and I started making wine a little bit before I studied neurology. I started making wine in 1959, and I studied neurology in 63. I had read a lot, a lot, but finally I made my wine, I made them by instincts. And why do you think you told your dad to leave? Because in those days, I, was, I had just graduated from the school, and I was wondering what I will do in life. So my wish would have been to be a monk in the mountains. And there, uh, when my father forced me, I said, okay, because I wanted to be a civil engineer, and I wanted to be a builder. So I said, okay, I'll take care of the winery, but at the same time, I study my engineering. So I was studying the engineering and at the same time taking part care of the winery. I was living in the winery and studying engineering. And it took me four or five years to graduate from engineering. And then I went to Bordeaux to study analogy. And I ended up, when I was around 30, uh, going into studying law to be able to understand what my lawyers will, tell me, will try to tell me. This is why I'm also a lawyer. And so your dad had started at the age of 20, the winery. So yeah. he was fairly young when you took over in the late 50s. Yeah. In fact, my father was re- rather young. Unfortunately, he had, had problems uh, when he was 48, 49. He used to smoke a lot, so he had a heart attack. And he, he was then, in fact, he passed away. He was young. He was just 62. Uh, so he handed over very easy things to me. Especially that I had a brother who was a little bit younger than me, who also did help my father in the business. So I was mostly taking care of the wine, and my brother started to work in the in the market of the wine. So the handoff from your father to you really coincides with his heart attack, about forty-eight. Exactly. This is why. This is why I think he was. Uh, in fact, this is why he was adamant that I come. I saw he did. Now I understood. I never thought about it. The first time I see it. Now I realize it combines exactly when he was he had had this, his his attack his heart attack. And what was he like as a person? Oh, uh, he was a, a very adorable person. Uh, he very very nice, very strict. But also he was uh, he did teach me about quality. He said he used to tell me, Serge, if you want to be a shoe shiner, be the first one. This did help me a lot in my attitude in my life. What was the family situation like? Your mother was, what was she like? Uh, my mother was a, was a person who was uh, rather clever. Uh, she was a founder of the school of uh, infirmary in Lebanon, of the school Red Cross. So she was a very active woman. She was really very active. And she did help a lot my father in the business. In fact, I think um, my father did owe her much more than I would have ever imagined. I've noticed you've never taken your dad's name off the label. It's always said Gaston Hoshar from the whole time that you've been making wine. And your son is named Gaston. My eldest son is named Gaston. But you know, I cannot touch the label. And when I took over in 1959, I wanted to redesign the label. So I gave it to a very great artist who was Russian from Russian origin, and he said to look to the label and told me, uh, "It's perfect. I will improve it." We made an inquest in the in the Lebanon in the market, and we received the M sensor, the only label which and the whole the five wineries 
which should, should, should not be changed as Shatun Mizar. So, uh, you know, we have, we have a family, I have a concept of a family which is very important. This is why I, cannot, I could not touch it. I never touched it. And my father found it, and this was still my father's name. And what were the wines like when you arrived in 59? <clears throat> I must tell you, frankly, when the wines arrived, four years ago, I received the visit of uh, my agent in the U.S., Broadband, with his team, and four top, top, top sommeliers of the U.S. I will not quote their name, but they are all friends. And one of them told me, Serge, I would like to taste one wine done by your father. I told him, no, I've never done it. I can't do it because I can't talk about them. He told me, Serge, please. I told him, let me think. So we made the tasting from 11 till 2 o'clock, and we did not end up because they were all so connoisseurs and the wine needed so much time. I told them, tomorrow we'll change our program. We'll not make, we won't make this journey. We'll continue the tasting, and we'll make another tasting at 11. And I had thought in the night, I said, okay, I'm going to open a wine. And I did open for him, for them, a 1952 Chateau Musa red. The quality was still there. The wine was still alive. But once, we taste, once they tasted it, they said, it, it tastes great, but it is not Chateau Musar. So this is how I understood that the imprint I have given to the, to the wines was something uh, which made it unique. Unique is too strong, I would make it different. This is why I told them, this is why I never show my ones. One day I had this visit of the Joshua Fisher, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Germany. And the embassy called me and said he would like to visit the winery because he drinks Chateau Mizar. And he, so when he came, I asked which, when he was born. I, they told me in 1948. So I offered him a bottle of 1948 Chateau Mizar. This is, but this I do, I've done it in my life only two or three times. Otherwise, I never saw, talk about those wines. How many wineries were working with vineyards in the Becca in 1959? Probably we were all, all four to five producers. And today it's more like a dozen. Uh, no. In 1990, we were still four, five. Now we are, we are 40, but we'll soon be 50 wineries. 50, five zero. Five zero, five zero, five zero. Wow, that's amazing. It's, yeah, it's more than amazing. It's thrilling. But I don't know where we'll be. In fact, because, you know, the climate of Lebanon, the fruits of Lebanon, the history of Lebanon goes very well with this culture of wine. In fact, it's a culture which was in the country six, 7,000 years ago, and disappeared slowly uh, once we were invaded by many, many other countries. And in the early stage of last century, we were producing very little wine, which most of the wines were produced or in convents or by people in, with, with their own vineyards. Market-wise, it's not, it was not anymore something which was uh, drunk a lot because people started to drink also Iraq and so on. Since the French mandate, French presence did induce new consumption of wine, then tourism. And this is why in 1975, when the war started, we were selling 97% of our production within Lebanon, Lebanese people and tourists. When the war started, our consumption in Lebanon stopped a lot. This is why I've been looking 
for markets outside Lebanon. And this then, when I discovered that after Bristol, I discovered that UK market was very connoisseur market. I thought it was better to be in the in those days in UK than to be in the US where I've been trying also. So I established my company in 1979 in England. And this ended up in 1990, we were selling most of our wines abroad and very little in Lebanon. Because the war continued until 1990. For 15 years, it was a kind of civil war, but you know, civil war in Lebanon means nothing. So the market disappeared. So I was lucky. I looked for a market outside Lebanon and I was lucky to be able to. So after this, I was not anymore interested in our market at all. And Michael Broadbent, the master of wine, started to champion your wines in the late 70s. How did you end up meeting him? I met him in at Bristol by accident. I, I was on my booze and then I was with Christopher Tatum. And then Ah, I thought, and then he came by and Christopher called him. He met me this and we very close, very quickly after having tasted the wines, he was impressed. He told me, would you come to Christie's for a tasting? I said, yes, definitely. This is how I made it to Christie's. And this is why afterwards he became a friend. Do you think he understood the wines right away? Michael Broadbent not understood, but did get into the wines. He got into it, you know, uh, he he was impressed with the wines, and uh, the way he described them. In fact, I once he wrote six months later in the Decanter magazine, 1979. In retrospect, the last paragraph he wrote: "I met an enthusiast about wine. His name is Serge Rochard. His 1967 memorable, 1959, 1961." A bit of claret, a touch of burgundy, great wines. Imagine Michael Broadbent quoting this being so so famous in the UK about a winery which was not known in the world. But I think he understood the wine. Afterwards, he, he's been permanently, he's been tasting my wines. He came to Lebanon, tasted all my wines, and he's a great taster. I admire him a lot. And his son now is your importer for the... <clears throat> This is why when Bartholomew started this company in the UK, in the US, I told him, Bartholomew, whenever you want, I'll join you. And this is why two years after he started, he started uh, I gave him the agency of Chateau Mizar within the US. And what is important, wine needs uh, an understanding, a relation, and he knew the wine. You know, <clears throat> for example, when he got married, before he became my agent in Richmond, he could have used any wines of the world because he could have used Lafitte, Margot, all the wines. He chose for his wedding Chateau Musard 1988 to be served for his wedding. So, And he was not yet my agent. This meant that if Michael Broadman was not convinced of the wine, why he should have, he should have chosen this wine? So he did it. You didn't make any 1976 because of war conditions. What was going on at that time? At that time, the war has started in 1975. 75, we could make it. It was just starting. In 76, the situation was quite difficult. There was no more fuel, no more electricity, no way of transporting the grapes to the winery. And the situation was terrible worry on the war side so we could not bring the grapes to the winery so we did not harvest 
It's the only year I could not harvest at all. Another year where I could not harvest, but I harvested only 1,000 cases, it was in 1984, and this is different. So it's said in 1977 that you kind of set your style, that 77 was kind of the year that you decided, this is, I think I have it, like what I, how, how I make Musar has been figured out. What, what is that style? It's good. How do you know about this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm no. paid to know. You know. <laughs> well, when I started making wine, I thought I would plant new vineyards. I'd plant to be able to be sure about everything. But then I made my calculation that it will take me 20 years to have the older vines. 20 years of research, it would mean another, it would make 40 years. I was 18. I said I might have passed away. So let me be wise. I'll use all the vines which are planted, use all the varieties, and study them. So I started tasting them, and it took me 18 years to find the best formula which in my brain did represent what is today my explanation. I use Cabernet Sauvignon, Carignan, and Senso. Explaining this very simply, it's a man. He has a skeleton, a backbone. It's Cabernet Sauvignon. He has muscles, flesh, it's Carignan, and he has skin, and it's Senso. And I found that it's a very good expression of the wine because in my wine, you can detect the Cabernet Sauvignon, but you don't smell it. You don't. So this is why it's hidden by the Carignan and more sometimes by the Senso. But why I did find it, I have no clue. Don't ask me, I forgot. <laughs> sometimes the wines seem, the reds especially, touch volatile, volatile acidity. Is there a long elevage process in terms of what happens in the winery before the bottling? <clears throat> In fact, I'm an addicted to VA. Now, I could explain it in many ways. I'm not going, but I'll tell you simply. Once you have grape juice, which is at very high density, it ferments. Fermentation starts with simpler yeast, and then it gets you have new every, as it's not one yeast, it's many yeasts. When it reaches the level above 13.5 degrees of alcohol, there are new yeasts which finishes the fermentation. So once you have a complex wine, a big wine, you have higher acidity. This is the climate of Lebanon because we have, have a lot of rain. So we don't have a lack of acidity. We have an acidity which is in harmony with the level of sugar. And they have also the tannins in home because we have a lot of sunshine. So this makes that the balance of the wine, once you come to the stage where you are finishing the fermentation, if it does not finish the fermentation during the harvest of, in October, <clears throat> I leave the wines, finish it, finish their fermentation before protect them. This is what I used to do. Now I do rack them and protect them a little bit, but very little bit, to allow us to finish the fermentation sometimes in March, March and April, which makes that you have more VA in the wine. But VA is part of the wine, as long as the wine has the VA in harmony, which is alcohol, which is tannin, which is acidity, why not, okay? So it's a question of balance, of harmony. I had one day a vintage which was so acidic, we could not release it. One year later, we did release it. It became one of the top Chateau Mizar, 1995. So this is why 
I cannot talk more about the subject. It's it's a too too delicate and difficult subject. You ferment in cement. We use only cement for all our wines. Just some whites, new young whites, are fermented into uh, stainless steel. Otherwise, I use, especially for the Chateau Mizar and the Hochar family uh, wine, I use concrete. Okay. More than cement, concrete. I see. You I, understand? I do. Okay, good. I'm happy you understand. It seems that you know much more than I would have imagined. Well, I mean, it makes sense because the Romans helped invent it and that was originally a Roman area. There's a temple of Bacchus there, right? This is a different reason. You know why? Because, in fact, Rome was almost destroyed by Carthago. And they escaped and then they beat Carthago. Once, Carthage. Yeah, yeah. Carthage. Car- Carthago, Carthage. Carthage en français. Once they did this, they said, oh, the origin of Carthage is from Phoenicia. It's Lebanon. They went and they came and occupied Lebanon. When they occupied Lebanon, they discovered that it was the cradle of the wine civilization. This is why they built biggest temples they built in, they did build in their life to Jupiter was in Baalbek, and the second temple was to Bacchus. And today, if you come to Lebanon, it's a temple which is still intact. Almost it has not the temple of Jupiter did because of the earthquake we had was destroyed. The only temple which is still there is the temple of Bacchus. Imagine, 2,000 years ago, Roman building a temple for Bacchus in Lebanon. Okay, This is why they said they did recognize that the origin of vine and wine was that part of the world. And it's interesting because uh, wine is mentioned from this region in the Bible, and also cedars from Lebanon are mentioned in the Bible. But I'm always surprised that no one that I know of in Lebanon has a history of aging wine in cedar. Has anyone ever aged wine in cedar there? You don't, right? I cannot do, I don't know. But it's good you did mention something, the cedars. Lebanon in those years were known for the cedars. In fact, that you know, they built the temples in Jerusalem from the cedars of Lebanon. Today, in fact, we have just two forests remaining uh, cedars, very small forests. But the, the tree are impressive. We have a tree which has a, a trunk which is represent probably 100 feet of, uh, of diameter. Uh, but this is imp- the symbol of Lebanon. Why? Because Lebanon, I call, is a country which has been perennity. The perennity, you know what's perennity? The, the a country which goes through ages. It ages very well. So like the cedars, cedar never die. Lebanon will never die. So you ferment in the concrete, and then eventually you move it to French oak. What happens in between? Nothing. Once we rack it from six months after the fermentation has finished and the vintage, is wines are <clears throat> in vat. Six months later, we move them into barrel oaks from Nevers. That's it. It stays one year. And then it goes back to concrete vats. But each varietal independently. And then two years after, we blend all the wines together within the proportion of one-third, 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 Cabernet Sauvignon, Carignan, and Senso. So you do the blend from lots in, in the concrete? In the concrete, I make the blend. Yeah, definitely. And then you bottle? Well, I leave them one more year. And then at the end of the third year, I bottle. And then you leave it f- at least four years in bottle? 
at least we leave them in our cellar seven years, four years, and we release the wine after seven to eight years. So it's no no cultured yeast. So it's spontaneous ferment, like you said, with the yeast. It's the native yeast on the skins. No yeast, nothing, no nothing, nothing at all. No additives, no filtration, no fining. The only thing now, some little sulfur, but which makes the wine with ten less than ten milligrams of yeast sulfur considered as organic. You mentioned in eighty four that there was another problem with harvest. There was a small harvest for you, and it was difficult. What happened in eighty four? Well, eighty four was a specific, not a specific year. It was a year where we could not expect to to harvest. And suddenly, by accident, on the twenty third of October, we discovered that we could still we could bring the grapes to the winery. We went to the vineyards. There was still one, just fifteen tons still available. We this could, is because of battles in the area, like uh, because of war in the area, this, conflict. Yes, because of the war and uh, war, uh, unstable situation. You know, Israel had invaded Lebanon. Syria had invaded Lebanon, and. Uh, they did withdraw from southern area. It was very hectic, quite dangerous, so we could not harvest. Tanks in the vineyard, that kind of thing. Uh, there were tanks near, but on, on the roads, on the vineyards, but just on one side. Yeah. So this is why we did not produce an 84. I, by accident, I produced those 12,000 bottles. This is a different story. How did you get them from the Becca to the winery? <clears throat> you know, Becca Valley... If you want to come to the run, you have to cross Mount Lebanon. Which is quite we, tall. Okay. So we, we, we took, for the first time, we could not bring through the normal road to Beirut. So we went through a south of Lebanon road, which brought the truck, the trucks to Sidon. And from Sidon, it was, uh, we could not uh, send it by road. So we sh- did ship it with a ferry boat to a port near the winery, Junier. But there was a storm, so they delayed the truck. Finally, the truck arrived to Junier, and from Junier, it was 10, 10 miles to the winery. So it was, we got them. But it was one week, seven, six days after the end, since the picking up. The other road, the other way, we had another truck which came, you know, from Bekaa Valley, you can go up in the Bekaa Valley, up to north, to Balbek, and from Balbek go to Mount Lebanon, to Mount uh, to the Cedars of Lebanon. And as, and then you come back through Tripoli and then to Beirut. Uh, this also took five, six days. So the wines, are, the grapes arrived fermenting, and it was not an easy, ta- an easy problem, an easy problem. What did the wine end up tasting like, the 84 vintage? Well, 84 vintage was not uh, supposed to be ever released uh, because it was not a wine. It was mostly a, a Madeira wine. But it had developed in such a way that uh, four years ago, I had people tasting the wines, the the sommelier from U.S. coming, tasting the wine. I said, I was, they told me, Serge, if you, send, if you ship those wines, we list them in our restaurant. I told them, let me think. Finally, we ended up this year, we have accepted this, and uh, we have just released the 1984 on this market. But I think that this wine would need another 10 years. But it will be, it might be a very great, great, great wine, because once you taste it, you understand it is, it's endless. It has a dimension, it has, it's a, has a thrilling taste, but it has very high sugar and very high VA. It has started to re- drop a lot 
but uh, it has something in the nose which is more like a port. But in fact, no, today it's, it's wine. We, this is why I decided to accept to release it. But this should be drunk by, only by people who have the tolerance for wine. It should not be drunk by young people, by people who don't know about it, because it's a wine which has so many things. And if a wine is a wine taster can know about the wine, he'll be interested. Maybe sometimes could be fascinated because the wine has been tasted by many people who have been who said for them it's an unbelievable wine. But today the production of the wine is so small, so it will never be something which would be we would find easy in a, each place or in a restaurant, okay? So 30 years later, you think it still needs 10 years? Yeah, 30 years later, it comes to the stage where I think it will be a wine which deserves to be drunk by people who know Muzar, who know uh, why Muzar is so different, who know that Muzar is mostly such a wine which has made out in a country which has such a history, in which you can feel uh, things which you cannot feel in the whole world. Why? I don't know why. I cannot really say why. But I discovered this 55, 65 years ago when I was starting traveling the world. I discovered that the taste of the things in Lebanon are different from the taste of things elsewhere. And this is how I understood that this is why it was called the land of paradise. The harvest is conducted by Bedouins. Uh, Bedouins, yes. Well, mostly because Bedouins are come do come from Syria. They come and they it allows us to have workers because Lebanon lacks manpower. So they come and they pick up the grapes, help us. And what is the situation of the vineyards? You said about 150 hectares. What's the elevation of that area? Lebanon is a country which is only mountains. If you want Mount Lebanon comes directly on the sea. So immediately you drive, you start climbing the mountain. The mountain goes up to 10,000 feet high, Mount Lebanon. Then you have Bekaa Valley, which is at 3,000 feet high. Then you have Mount Ante Lebanon, which is the border with Syria and on south with Israel, which goes up to 10,000 feet again. And on the south part of it, there is the Golan Heights, you know. And uh, our border is on the north, Syria, on the east, Syria, on the south, Israel. And uh, this is all of Lebanon. It's 120 miles long by 30 miles width, and that's it. So even though it's called a valley, it's still at 3,000 feet of elevation, the Becca. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's a valley, but between two mountains, which are very high, but it's still a valley, even if it's not at the sea level. But a valley could be, I was in Denver and uh, in Boulder, and I discovered that the altitude in Boulder was over 5,000 feet. So I never thought that a city could be, I went to Mexico, it's over 6,000 feet high. So, But also it's a plain. So this is the earth. But Lebanon has been formed a secondary era and that's a very, very specific country because it has many kinds of different soils. You know that Lebanon today is a country which exports to the whole world 200 different pharmaceutical plants. It's such a small territory to have different, you know, and 
you know, we have what I like in Lebanon. We have we have the time, which is great. And today, the time we had, <laughs> did you didn't you taste the time? So time is kind of like zatar. Zatar. Yeah. Zatar is time. Is time. I see. But you have different times. You have time. Yeah. There are many many times. Time zatar. You know. It seems you know what is zatar. I did not imagine that you knew what is zatar. I should I should say the word time. So the zatar. We eat, which is combined with sumac and with some oil, is a very, very healthy food. It's a food I have had for 40 years. Every day, every morning, I have at least six spoons of zatar. And what other crops are in the Becca? Everything, from potato to fruits, all kinds of fruits, to olives. Becca Valley, you know, in the old words, they used to talk about Comment on dit un grenier? Un grenier is where you store things. Oh, granary, sure. Yeah, keep crops there. Lebanon was the grander. What do you say? I would say, for me, I used to I used to say the cradle of civilization. But before the cradle of civilization, this was the grenier de l'Empire Romain. For for the Roman Empire, used to grow crops there. Exactly. You understand French. No. Some words. Okay, no. good. I Only like the it. women, I understand. I like it. Then I not like so much. It. Okay, good. I like it. <laughs> okay. But it, most of the arable land, like most of the land that you can plant in Lebanon is in the Becca, like half of it. <clears throat> no, because in Lebanon, you have uh, Mount Lebanon is, is something unbelievable. It's, uh, if you come to Mount Lebanon, you could spend your time hiking for two years and you can't visit all of because each each meter is different. It's impressive. You know, there are many places you could visit in Lebanon. So Beka Valley is mostly known for its being an agricultural place to grow things well. But Mount Lebanon has as much maybe as much as Beka Valley. And you have white vines on Mount Lebanon. We have white vines. We have the oldest we have uh, white and red, but also today we have. I have not worked on the red original from Lebanon, although I have had some grapes. I worked only on grapes, white, white grapes coming from Lebanon, which were the oldest grapes, uh, maybe many, many years before humanity. You mean the kind of grape it is? Yeah. Now we have many grapes. I had one day uh, an, arch- an archaeologist. Who came to me and said, "Sir, we found in the uh, ruins after the war, after the war, in a place of Beirut, which were burned by Assyrians 900 years before Christ, and we discovered seeds of grapes. I'm going to send it to you." She sent me one one person. I met one lady in uh, San Francisco who was a teacher and who was working research of this. I sent her those uh, seeds to study them. Unfortunately, I had no answer. Then I discovered, I knew that she passed away and she could not give me the study. So those seeds were dated back to 900 BC, so almost 3,000 years ago. And uh, this probably there were seeds what we call le datier de Beirut. Le datier de Beirut, I don't know in French, datier is dates of Beirut. It's a large grape which are uh, very long and uh, Yesterday in the hotel, yes, here I received. They sent me a 
bucket, basket of fruits, and there was those dates that were here. I never expected, never tasted those grapes in the U.S., but it's a famous grapes, yeah. But those grapes are not made to produce wine. There are, there are table grapes. So when you make vineyards or when you care for vineyards, are they trellised? Are they, how are they farmed? No, nothing, nothing, nothing. Just the pruning and nothing. So bush vine. Exactly, that's it. We, in fact, uh, even our vines are bush vine. We don't use it, no tray, no nothing, nothing so, at all. So no steak, no wooden no, steak. No nothing, no nothing. What are the white grapes that you grow? The white grapes we are using at the chateau are two grape variety which are original from Lebanon, which are on their original rootstock, which are Merouah and Obaidi. Merouah is the ancestor of Semillon. Obaidi is the ancestor of Chastla, which is the same family that the Chardonnay, Fort Blanc, and the other grape variety, Roussan, Marsan. Those grape variety have been in Lebanon for thousands of years. And since I've been making wine, I did use them. It's only 10 years ago that we decided to have to have to show that although we are an old winery, we could be very modern. And we have planted Chardonnay, Viognier, and Vermontino. And this is why we made, we made this wine, which we call Musard Jeune, which is a young Musard, and which is today very well accepted, says very well. But I think that this is not what the real wine is, because once you understand the Chateau Musard White, it's a different wine. But we have to adapt to this, because, you know, today the market, young generation, you have to be, to have to show that even as a very old winery, you could adapt to the world of today, which is important because the world of today is changing every day, every day, every day, especially in the taste for wine. So it was important to go ahead in this direction, and we did it with the reds and with the white and the rosé. It may be that you're evolving in different ways to keep up, but I have to say, having tried the 59 Chateau Moussard white, which was your first vintage, that's my favorite wine of all time ever anywhere. Uh, I think that's an incredible wine. I must, I'm going to confess you, you are clever. You are a taster. And I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> the 59, once you could get a bottle still, if you can still get a bottle of white 59, is something which is uh, thrilling because I've tasted it recently in two years, at least three times. And each time it was such a different wines. And this time, it was more impressive. Uh, this is why I say that this is a kind of variety which has been in Lebanon for so many times, such such long time, and which has been not grafted on American rootstock because of phylloxera. This is a wine which is, this is why this wine do mature two months later after Chardonnay. But what's more impressive that not only it matures two months later, it has less alcohol. It, while the Chardonnay picked up in, in August is around 14 degrees, this wine was difficulty reached 12 degrees. So this is why. I was told, why, why haven't you produced a sweet wine? I told them, I don't have botrytis. I don't, it does not develop this, uh, you know, uh, uh, Botry's character, so I was never able to produce sweet wines. But my wines, my wines, as it ages, get and get such a nice sweetness that I recommend to drink it sometimes with foie gras much more than to drink a sweet wine. But this is a different subject I prefer not to talk about. Because you said that the white, as it 
gets older, it tastes younger. This is what I discovered through age. This I did not know the case 30, 40 years ago, but through experience, having tasted the wines in many places with top experts, from their comments, I discovered that the wines of Chateau Mizar, as they grow older, they grow bigger and younger. This is, and bigger in the sense of dimension, of taste, of con concentration, of complexity. Uh, but uh, this is something you can't talk about unless you have a glass in your hand. So we can't talk it, we can't communicate our taste while we are not tasting. If I was tasting, I would have talked differently. But I have found when tasting with you that you serve the whites after the reds. We serve the white after red because <clears throat> I discovered through my experience that the whites are bigger than my reds. If you taste the red Chateau Mizar, then you taste after this. Let's say you take off, you take any simple, any vintage, you take the 205 Chateau Mizar. You taste the 205 red, it's really, it's an impressive wine. You taste the 205 white, white, it's totally different wine, but it's as impressive. You go back to the 205 red, and then you realize that the 205 red dimension has shrunk a little bit because the whites have overcome it. Why? It's difficult to say it. It's very difficult. But one information which could be interesting, the Beka Valley is at 3,000 feet high, but the white Obeide and Marwah are in the mountains at 4,000 feet high. They are higher. This is one of the reasons, maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. The soil is also different. Depending where you are, you have different soils. But the, the soil in the Mount Lebanon is different from the soil in Bekaa. And it might be that uh, nature makes th things the way better than, better than we can do them. Because often I hear it's limestone soil with gravel on top. Has that changed in different areas? Oh, yeah, yeah. Each... each in one vineyard, you could find limestone, you could find sandy, you could find uh, gravelly, you can find stony. Yeah, because Beka Valley was formed through since the second millennium era, but it, uh, alluvions have brought things, changed the soil. So it's washed down so, from Exactly. The so in many places, in each place, is different. As you grow up on the mountains, the, the layers start to be less thick and you have more gravelly, more rocky so, soil. So if you plant at this and you plant 100 yards or 200 yards apart, it's different, it's totally different variety. I have seen one in one vineyard at the same level, at the same height, I've seen one grape variety, Senso, which was totally quite red, quite deep red, and uh, the other one was very clear red like Pinot, one side it was like a Syrah, and so the other side was a uh, color of, uh, uh, of like a rose sensor. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sensor, yeah. Uh, yeah let, let, let's a little bit pinkish, not not red, not so deep red. So this is what I call the biodiversity in Lebanon is impressive. So the the white you age it for only nine months in wood, typically not that full year that you age the red. Yeah, but we ferment the whites in the in the barrel. Most of you fermented in the barrel. Them, all of them, but most of them are fermented in oak. So this means it goes from October till June. Has that always been the case? Because I can taste that now. But was that true of the old wines too? Always, it's always since always, forever. Always, yeah. And is there any skin contact for the white? No, none, no. But the skin contact 
because of the two hours drive it takes to bring the grapes to the winery as a skin contact. No, but the vats, no. Once we receive the grape, white grapes, they are crushed and go directly uh, uh, stemmed and destemmed and then goes just the juice, juice, juice uh, pressed and the juice goes in the vat. We don't say the we don't send the whole grapes in the vat for like for the so reds. no stems like with the red. No, no. What are the percentages of the two grapes and the white typically? <clears throat> typically, usually we have sixty percent or by day forty percent merwah, but this is an average. It might be sometimes forty, sometimes uh, forty, sixty. 50, 50, 70, 30, but the average is 60, 40. And is it also assembled in concrete? Once we rack them from the, the barrel, we put them in the concrete, then we blend them. We blend them in July. So how old are these barrels? Because I imagine that sometimes it's difficult to get wood. No, and no, but uh, usually we use the barrels one, two, three, four years on average. But I mean, has there been periods of time during war where it's difficult yeah, to... Yeah. Probably happens a lot that it's hard to get the barrels in. To have to have the barrel, yeah, yeah, to get them imported. Yeah, yeah. One once we had the war, we could be stopped for three months, four months. Then everything was normal. When we started our company in the UK, we started it because of the situation in Lebanon, where we could not ship every day, every month. So we started to store many wines in the UK be sure that we could have wines from the UK delivered to the world and not if we could not ship from Lebanon. I see. And today, the whole world is delivered out of UK directly. The only place where we deliver directly from Lebanon is the USA. Oh, yeah? Is that yeah. true? Yeah. So, the, in a way, the wines are a little different for the rest of the world and for the US. No. In fact, they are shipped directly from Lebanon, but it takes them two months, one month and a half to reach the US. Uh, so it's nothing else. It's the same, nothing else. But you know, I tasted one day the wines. I was in uh, Nashville. I was in Nashville, and I went to a place, a guy, and he had a bottle of 1981. I had brought with me a 1981. He had had the wine 10 years ago in his cellar. We tasted the wine. The wine I brought, 1981, was totally different from the wine which was there 10 years ago. So, you know, wine lives like you. So it depends if you live here, you live some you can develop your life in a way. If you live in Africa, you develop if you live in the mountains, in the Himalaya, your life will be different. Hopefully it lives better than me. That's all I'm gonna say. It's a, you know, studio apartments are a little, you know. <laughs> I prefer not to comment <laughs> on this subject. We, we, in fact we are too serious. This is why I, I, it's good you make me laugh a little bit. But you also make a rose. We make a rose, but which rose? The Rosé Jeanne or the Chateau Rosé? Well, for the moment, let's talk about the Chateau Moussard Rosé. The Chateau Rosé, in fact, I do like, uh, I do like a lot of Champagne Rosé. So, 45 years ago, I was producing, I did produce some Champagne. I made some wine Champagne. And I did call it Musard, Chateau Musard, Method Champenoise. And my friend told me, Serge, you're not allowed to make Chateau Champagne. You're not allowed, you should not. I was thrilled. I was not happy. I opened all the bottles I had produced and stopped doing champagne. This was 45 years ago. Then, 20 years ago, I was always dreaming of rosé. So I said, one day, I took my white Chateau Mizar and add to it two drops of Senso. I tasted it. It had different taste totally. 
So I said, I'm going to make this wine. In 1994, I bottled 500 cases of this wine. And since then, I produced it not every year. But in the last three years, each bottle, each vintage we have made, produced it, did sell out very quickly. So now we are on the 2012, which I never thought I could sell. And today we sold it and we are short of it. Everything we produce is... So this is Chateau Mizar Rosé. We recommend to drink it as an aperitif. It's very nice. But as it will age, I was in Taiwan two years ago and I tasted the 1994, which was impressive. So I would say that it's a wine which could live forever. But it's an interesting wine because it matches many things. Because it has the characteristics of the Chateau Mizar White, but it has also a little bit of Sessenso, which gives it a different dimension. That's a fascinating wine. While the other rosé, Rosé Jeune, is a wine which is obtained by just Senso grapes, fermented within the skin just for 30 hours, and then racked, and then finishes fermentation. The color is... But this is a different wine from the Chateau Mizar, totally different wine. One is red, the other one is white. Because the Chateau Mousseau Rosé is basically a, a white wine with a touch of red grapes on it. Yeah, exactly. The red is aged seven years at the winery at least before it's released. How long is the white age for? Uh, seven years also. But you released the rosé pretty early. We had to release the rosé because, in fact, the demand is, and it's not a wine we we are supposed to age. So before it was, three years ago, it was the 206 then the 208, then we run short very quickly. And now the 2012, 2012, we produce it. It was sold out before we produced it. And now we're going to go on the 213. Hopefully, I'll be able to produce 600, 800 cases. But they are already sold before we produce them. So there's a following now in the world for the wines. There is a following for those wines. Because, in fact, I'm going to tell you something. This, I never say it. But if you want, the value of Mizar is not the value. What is Mizar value is what it implies as emotion, as a discovery, as something. So depending, if you are knowledgeable, you can buy it. It doesn't matter if it costs one, two, or three. Sorry, I'm saying this. I've never said it. But you have inspired me because you are a businessman. <laughs> well, uh, what's interesting to me is how little you've talked about how difficult it's been to make it over the years. So since... How, how difficult? Yeah, it's been because of the war and the strife in the area. Never, um, never. It has never been difficult. Never. Never. It's been never. For me, nothing is difficult. Well, I remember one time there was a story about you drinking a 72 while you were being shelled uh, for uh, like 12 hours. Yeah. So what was that like? Oh, this was an accident which happened because we were shelled by the Syrians and they were shelling the neighborhood where I live in Beirut, as a Christian part of Beirut, with Ashrafi. So I was in my home. I was alone because my family was living in, in France. The Syrians started to shell. I was called Serge, come to the shelter. I said, no way, I'm going to stay in my, room, in my home. So I decided... To open a bottle, I went to my cellar. I, I discovered the 1972 bottle. I had a glass of Baccarat, which can handle one bottle and a half, one liter and a half. So I poured all the bottle in the glass in one shot. It was half rim. 
I took it to my room. I sat down in my bed. And starting, whenever there was a shell, I did drink a sip. And it went for 10 hours alone. Finally, at, when night came, my friends called me and said, please, Serge, come down. We need you. We want to play bridge. I told them, okay, I'm going to come down. I had finished my bottle. My, it, the wine was thrilling. So I went out of my room, and I went to the house, and all the glasses were shattered. Everything. The only place which was not touched was my room. I went down to the shelter, and then they told me, Sir, Serge, our neighbor was killed today. I said, how she? She said, one of the shell, one of the shells which did hit the ceiling of her house, went through two levels, and she had one shrapnel entered in her room. The shrapnel went directly to her heart, and she passed away on the spot. Just one shrapnel entered the room, and so this is why I say life is within. We never know. So I ended up. This was the day how I discovered that my 72 was still drinking beautifully. One of the things I have found with Musar, especially with the red, is that there's a lot of vintage variation. Like in the way that it tastes from year to year, it's quite different. Why Do you agree, and why might that be? You know, for me, wine is a man, and the man is never the same, and you age. As you age, you change, you become different. You, your head become white, your skin flat, flabby. But the only thing which is important that your brain becomes more knowledgeable so you can talk much more. So I don't care. As long as my wine can talk to me for hours, I love it. I don't care if it's the same. What I care for is that it can still talk to me. Yeah, I'm not trying to imply that it, it has to be the same. And I really appreciate how like the 97 is very different than the 99, for instance. But what I'm kind of curious about is why might it be so different, you know, compared to other wineries? Do you think it's because of the large nature of the vineyard that you pick different parcels? or Am I going to make it simple for you? Because my no-touch philosophy made that the wines develop their character without being affected by anything. So they show what the rear is, and what the year is is the most important. And in your life, there is never a year alike. Okay, so that's it. Basta. <laughs> <laughs> and your son Gaston has been doing wine work with the winery for about 10 years now. No. No, he hasn't. No. no. He came to the winery in 1993. It's 20. So it's 20 years. 20 years. Wow. Yeah, not 10. I thought you said 10. I did. Yeah, I didn't know it was that long. No, yeah. But Gaston is old. Okay. He's, he's very old, yeah. He does a lot of the winemaking duties today. He is in the winery. He, he manages the winery and uh, the whole. But we have a winemaker who's working. He's been working with me also for 30, 23 years. What, what's his name? His name is Tarek Sakar. And he's been in the winery. And uh, now I have total confidence in him. For the last 10 years, I gave him free hand. The only thing which I can't give him is my, my tongue. So I go to the winery and taste the wines. Every time we need to taste them. Your oldest son, Gaston, what's he like as a person? Ah, he's a very, he's a very, he's a very, very nice gentleman. If you meet him, you'll adore him much more than me. And he has a similar philosophy about the winemaking. No, no, he he is much more serious than me. Like my other son, Mark, they are very serious. So they are. They don't have this fantasy but uh, i'm very happy the way they are because the fact that he works with the winemaker so they combine very well together 
and they understood completely this, the completely the philosophy of Mizar. They have adopted it. Once one day they told me, "Why do we bottle after three years? We should bottle after two years the wine. It will be much more efficient." And I thought, "Okay, I never say no because if you say no, when I want to be here, they will do it differently." So I said, "Okay, we bottled ninety eight, ninety nine. And 2000, we bottled a couple of bottles after two months. That's when, when we made the blending, we bottled them. And the rest of the vintage, we did bottle after three years. In 2004, we tasted the wines. The bottles bottled after, after two years were great. They were impressive. They were really, the bottles bottled after three years were probably not as much. But what they have, they have the imprint of Chateau Mizar. It was, immediately you smell them, it was Chateau Mizar. So I told them, now you have to choose what you prefer. They said, we have to choose Chateau Mizar. So they kept the policy of bottling after three years. Chateau Mizar is bottled after three years. Hoshar is bottled after two years. Hoshar Perenfi. Oh, Hoshar, I see. Hoshar so was that kind of the birth of Hoshar Perenfi right no, there? No, it, it has been something which has been in, on the process. We have come to this. So to make it simple, the Hoshar is simple than the Chateau. On, on, in per, on purpose, because I wanted everybody to like Hoshar, which is not what I wanted with Chateau Mizar. Chateau Mizar, I don't care. I know people who love it, people who hate it, but it's important for me. It's too complex, so too many problems. With Hoshar, I said, I'm going to show that I can produce a wine which should be accepted by everybody. This is it. You told me once that you had made 55 vintages of Musar against your will because your dad had basically forced you to work in the winery. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, I had to make wine since I've been making wine. I, this year, I produced my 51st vintage. And what was it like with your son? Did you tell him he needed to work in the winery? or No, my father, my, uh, in fact, Gaston is, a, is an engineer from France, from Central, but also he went to a bank. He worked in a bank called Paribas. And then... Uh, in 1992, I told him, Gaston, you are the eldest, and uh, so you have to come. He accepted, and in 1993, he came to Lebanon. He said, I'll take one sabbatical year to see if I'm happy. He came and was stuck, and now he likes it, and he is working in it. And I'm now facing the same situation with his son, who's almost 22, who's 22 years of age. His name is Serge. Hopefully one day also he will join the family. So, this is Gaston now is managing the winery. But you bring the fantasy. <laughs> I can't answer. <laughs> Sir Sosar, he's the Borges of wine in Lebanon. A man of fantasy, a man of wine. Thank you for being here today. I did not hear what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Sosar of Sato Musar. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Larry. But I like to joke, even when I'm on a, on a program... If you don't joke, you forget that wine is fun, and I like fun. So my wine is fun. Okay? I do thank you, Levy. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs... 
and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.